0: First coming from Jesus himself in the 14th chapter of John. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then we hear this from Paul who's writing about Jesus to the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 17. He says of Jesus, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated please. Making predictions can be a dangerous business. Some of you may have known that about a century ago, Thomas Edison himself walked into the U.S. Patent Office and in discussions with people announced that he imagined that about everything that could be invented had been invented. Some years later, in the middle of World War II, Thomas Watson, Sr., the founder and leader of IBM, made this a prognostication. He said he imagined that there would never be a need for more than about five computers in the entire world. And then those of you who are college football fans will remember back to this August when experts almost... Uh, unanimously proclaimed that one school out in California would not only win the national championship this year, that they might very well be the best college football team ever assembled. And some even went on to hypothesize that if they played some of the lower echelon NFL teams, they would be good enough to beat them. Well, they had a pretty good team. But those of you who follow the sport know that they are not playing for the national championship tomorrow night. It is a dangerous business to make predictions. And nevertheless, as we begin 2008 as a church together this morning, I would like to make three predictions. These are the three I would like to make. The first one is this. The world has been changing rapidly, and I believe that that rate of change will continue in the future. The world has been changing rapidly, and I don't see any evidence that it's going to let up. It's interesting to me that Robert Vaka made this observation. He said, every year things change, and each year the speed of, of the change increases. And he made this observation in 1969, 40 years ago, and it is held true to this day. Some of the pastors were at a workshop last year, and one of the um, speakers quoted an expert who said this, that since 1961... Since 1961, our world has seen more change than in the entire history of civilization up until 1961. More change just in the last 50 years than all of history that preceded that 50 years. If you read in the areas of business or leadership or management, the word that most often pops off the page is the word chaos. Things are changing so frantically uh, that uh, that things uh, that weren't even imagined some years ago now become reality, and next year's realities uh, probably haven't come to any of our minds yet, even at this point. And I've been watching the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire debates, and, and, and we've heard that people are calling for change, but I would say to you it's not because things aren't changing. I say to you people call for change because things are changing. And they want to keep up with that change. Things are changing. Believe me, if oil was still 17 or $18 a barrel, people wouldn't be calling for change. If the troops were still stationed at Fort Sam or Fort Hood and not in a foreign country, people wouldn't be calling for change. It's because things do change that people call for changes to keep up with it because change actually is constant. It will always be with us. And even I think about college sports and how many football coaches have already changed jobs uh, in just a month since the regular season ended. And I suggest to you it's not because the football programs at these schools were stagnant. It's because of the change. It's because, at least in the school where I come from, we looked 45 miles down the road and we saw that that school, that's smaller than our school, went to a bowl two years in a row. We saw that change and that's the change that we wanted for ourselves. And so it's not when people call for change that things aren't changing. It's that change is constant. And the call is we want somehow to be able to keep up with this change. And I'm just here to tell you that the rate of change is not going to slow down. Second thing I would predict this morning is this, that change has affected and will continue to affect the American church. Change has affected the American church, and it will continue to affect the American church. The most obvious way I can describe the change is this. Most of us have known a time when the church was dominant or prominent in the American culture. That is no longer the case. Many of us grew up in a day of blue laws. Do you remember those? There were certain things you couldn't do on Sunday because, well, the expectation would be you'd be doing stuff with God at church. There were times when school districts used to protect Wednesday evening for church activities. Now, typically, if you're going to meet your parents, I mean, the parents are going to meet the teachers, they're going to do it on a Wednesday night. Those things aren't protected anymore. Some of you can remember back long enough when the front page of the San Antonio paper featured the sermon that was given in a prominent church on, on the Sunday before would be featured on Monday morning. Now, when you open up the paper this morning... You're not featuring the pastor's sermon. You're featuring the people's critique and uh, criticisms of the pastor. That's the world in which we live. It is no longer sacred to be a church. You're no longer exempt uh, from society or uh, expectations or considered to be the main part of society. And statistics, I believe, will bear this out. The year I was born, 1956... Uh, church attendance was estimated uh, by George Gallup to be about 44%. In other words, 44% of Americans would find their way in a typical week to a church or synagogue. Now, some people over the last few years began to question the reality of that statistic, and they did some harder studies about five or six years ago and came up with this. Church attendance was more likely to be 26 to 28% of Americans on a Sunday in a church or synagogue. But the most recent findings released uh, less than a year ago find that in America the church and synagogue attendance on a weekend is going to be 18 percent now. Less than one out of five of every American will come and find their way to a house of worship this weekend. And what's scarier is if you break it down by age, The younger the person, the less likely they are to be in a church. By the time you get down to college age, let's say roughly 18 to 25, attendance is already in the single digits. I'm just curious this morning, if you're 18 to 25, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand? And you can look around. Thanks. Glad you're here. Now let me tell you, let me tell you two bits of good news about the change in the culture. The first bit of good news is this. You're part of the 18%. And that's wonderful. And believe me, Jesus started with a lot less. With less than 12, Jesus started, and his movement eventually took over most of the known world. And it can happen again. So that's the first bit of good news. The second bit of good news is this. My generation was part of the modern era. And the modern era really had as their god science, and their own skills and their own intelligence. And so we sort of factored God out of most things in life, and we got very good at predicting and and planning. And so for modern era people, they were a lot like Thomas Jefferson, one of our forefathers. Some of you may know Thomas Jefferson had a Bible, but in his Bible, every miracle that was performed was cut out. There was no room in his world for the miraculous. There was really no room for God. And many of us moderns have actually grown up like that. And the good news is this. The people who at the moment are staying away from the church in droves have room for God and the supernatural and the mysterious in their life. They have gone from a Newtonian world that we grew up in where we thought we could manage everything and get it down to the smallest building block of life and then build it back up any way we wanted. They have gone to a quantum Uh, We're a world of quantum physics where things are seen in relationship and there's always room for something new and random to emerge. And in their lives, I believe there is room for spirituality and more importantly, there is room for God. Final prediction. I believe that for the church to be the instrument of God that the church needs to be in the 21st century, the American church will need to change. I believe we will need to change. Let me tell you, this experience may resonate with you, but an experience I've had since about Thanksgiving is I started to notice that things were a little different. I was, you know, eating a little bit more while socializing, making a little less time for exercise, and I started to notice I didn't feel quite as good, and then I started to notice some of the clothes, well, they weren't quite fitting The same, And I was getting a hunch or a sense that something was changing. Well, January 1st, I got on the scale, and I was horrified to have that sense confirmed. Things had changed. Well, here's what I want to do for you this morning, and it may seem a little rough, but I want to put the American church on the scale. Let's just weigh it for a minute. Let's just weigh it, and we're going to weigh it in a 60-year period because there's a couple statistics, two that will, I think, tell the tale for us. Let's go back really the beginning of the Billy Graham era, 1948. And God has used Billy Graham in wonderful ways. And and since then, we've seen football stadium crusades. We've seen campus crusade. We've seen InterVarsity. We've seen the rise of the megachurch. We've seen better organs and and finer-tuned guitars and, and praise of Christ. But what has it done? Let's look at the scale. Two statistics. You've heard me use them before. Number one is this. That in the last 60 years, since the Billy Graham era, 48 to 2008, we'll say today, there is not one single percentage point different of Americans who have a personal relationship with Christ than had one in 1948. All the money, all the countless hours, all the efforts, all that we've done, and the results are essentially the same. One other statistic you've heard me use a few weeks ago, studies indicate that compared with about 1948, 1950, that the amount of money that that Americans give adjusted for inflation to charity has not changed one iota. We are no more generous than we were 50 years ago. And this, startling enough, our church, I believe, being one of the exceptions, that actually Americans give 33% less to churches than they did more than 50 years ago. Put in the scale and weighed... It seems to me that we have got a problem. And I would like to say that it boils down, in my mind, to two things. Number one is this. We are struggling to attract as many people to our church as we used to attract in America. And number two, the people we attract aren't changing to become more like Jesus. It's just, it's just the bottom line. And here's my thought. That the American church needs to change... And that we at Alamo Heights can be a big part of that change. That we have within us the gifts from the Holy Spirit and the people to do things in a manner that is different. That can help us in the chaotic days and changing days in which we live be more the instrument of God. So this is what I want to do over the next five Sundays. I'm going to suggest five not specific changes. Because the world changes so quickly that if I gave you a practice it might be outdated by Thursday. But I'm going to suggest five directions in which the church needs to move, I believe, in the years ahead. And the first one I'll just spend a minute on this morning is this. I believe that starting now and for the immediate future, that what the American people need from the American church is not better programming, not better programs. We have wonderful programs for our children, our youth, and our senior adults, and everybody in between. We don't need more and better programs. We already have them. We do not need better practices or or practicing other things. The church has long told the world what not to do and how to do and who to vote for. They don't need any more of that from us. They don't need different practices. They don't need different programs. And they don't need better principles and newer principles. And that hurts. Because quite frankly, I have made a living out of principles and sharing them with you. Here's how you can have a better marriage. Here's how you can raise your children. Here's how you can get more out of your Bible study. And I don't believe what the world needs are more principles from us. I believe what the American people need from the American church is this. Not a program, not practices, not a principle. They need a person. And that person, you already know, is Jesus Christ who claimed, and as far as I can tell, the only person in human history ever to claim it, to be the way, the truth, and the life. In the rapidly changing world in which we live, in the chaotic uh, character of our existence, there is a reliable guide, there is a path, there is a way, and that path and way is a person, and that's what people need from us. They need that person Paul made this claim about him. He said this, all things hold together in him. (laughs) All doesn't leave much room for exception. All things, all of our pain, all of our problems, all of our confusion, all of our opportunities, all of it will hold together in him. What people in America need from us today is a person in Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that three things have to happen. And I want to share those with you this morning. The first one is this. I believe that you and I need to know that Jesus loves us unconditionally. That it starts there. I just ask, do you know that? Or do you think there is something you still have to do to be acceptable, to be significant, to be valuable? Is there something you've left undone? If you believe that, then you don't know the love of Christ in your life. And, and I know that because I slip into that all the time. There's a very respected man of God from England that visits our church on occasion. And I respect him so much. About a month ago, I asked him to pray for me while he was here. And he did what I thought was the oddest thing. He, he held my face in his hands for, it seemed like, 10 minutes. I, I guess it was only 30 seconds. But it just seemed forever. And then this is what he said to me, one sentence. He said, I think this is from God. And he gave me one sentence. He said, you don't have to to prove anything else that's all he said. do you know that about your life that you don't have to prove anything else that you're loved by jesus it starts with knowing jesus love second thing second thing is loving jesus in return would you say that you love jesus more than anything or anyone You know, sometimes at the end of the day, I can reflect on the decisions I made and the actions I took and actions I didn't take. And what they usually say is, I love myself more than anyone else. But what what America needs is people who love Jesus more than anything else and want more than anything else to be like him. Would you say that it is the goal of your existence when you get up in the morning till you go to bed at night to be more like Jesus and to love him more? And then finally, thirdly, America needs for us to love the people Jesus loves. To love the people Jesus loves. Whether we like them or not. Whether they are like us or not. Whether they will come to us or not. We need to know that we are loved. We need to love Jesus and love others in return. I don't have anything more specific than that. I don't have a five-point plan in specifics. I don't have some new program that's going to send us in the neighborhood and, and, and turn it upside down. I don't have that. And if I had it it, it, it would be out of date within a few months. But what I've got is a direction, and the direction is Jesus. I am encouraged by the writer of The Little Prince, Desjupri, who said this. He said, if you want to have people build a boat and you want to teach them to build a boat, he said, don't organize them into teams and have some collect the wood and some cut the wood and some put the wood together. He said, if you want people to build a boat, teach them to love the open sea. I can't tell you exactly how to be the church in this rapidly changing world. All I can tell you is know that you're loved. Love Jesus. Love others in return and whatever we build will be more than enough to sail the rough seas that are ahead.